the Slaughter in May podcast. Well, welcome everyone to this first in a series of podcasts where we're going to be delving into the world of quantum computing. For this podcast, we've asked David Sabell and Emily Bradley to do a little bit of research into what is meant by the term quantum computing and report back on what they've found out. David is an associate in one of our corporate teams, and Emily is a professional support lawyer in our financial regulation group, and both are members of Slaughter and May's Quantum Technologies Hub. Hi, I'm David. Hi, I'm Emily. And today we're going to take you through some of the basics of quantum computing. All the basics as far as we can understand them, armed only with humanities degrees. So Emily, let's start with the most obvious question. What is a quantum computer? Well, as I understand it, quantum computers are computers which make use of quantum mechanics. So dipping into my physics A-level from yesteryear, uh, the branch of physics that deals with the behavior of very small objects like electrons. And when objects are very small, it, it transpires that they behave in ways that we would deem to be quite unintuitive. And it is these properties that are harnessed by quantum computers. And two words that crop up a lot uh, when you hear about quantum computers are superposition and entanglement. I've heard of superposition. Well, I'm definitely going to leave it to you to explain then. <laughs> well, superposition refers to the ability of individual units to exist in several possible states at the same time. Have you perhaps heard of Schrodinger's cat? Yes, isn't that the thought experiment where a cat is simultaneously alive and dead as long as the box is closed? Yes, that's right. So we could say that the cat is in a superposition of two states. It is simultaneously alive and dead. So a quantum computer makes use of the exact same idea through quantum bits or qubits. Okay, so is that similar to how the computers we use at the moment use bits as units of information? Yes, exactly. So we refer to those computers as classical computers, and they make use of bits, which can only exist in one of two states on or off, one or zero. By contrast, a qubit can be on, off, or on and off in a variety of combined states at a single point in time. <laughs> Goodness, that makes my head swim a bit. <laughs> uh, you certainly are to learn. Uh, it can be helpful to try thinking of a qubit as an imaginary sphere, whereas a classical bit can be in two states at either of the two poles on the sphere. A qubit can be at any point on the sphere. Yeah, I think I find that a bit easier than the cat. Well, it follows that if one qubit can be in a superposition of two states, zero or one, then two qubits can be in a superposition of four states, three qubits can be in a superposition of eight states, and so on. This means that each time we add a qubit to a quantum computer, its power grows exponentially. This does not happen if you add a bit to a classical computer, as a bit can only be in one state at a time. All of that said, I'm not so sure about the second property that quantum computers can make use of. Entanglement? Yeah, I've actually heard a bit about that because I remember hearing that Albert Einstein once dismissed it as spooky action at a distance, uh, was his quote. And that struck me as quite a funny way to put it. And as I recall, in quantum mechanics, entanglement describes the phenomenon where particles interact with each other and share their physical states for an instant. And that occurs no matter how great the distance that separates them. So it means that the states of entangled particles cannot be described independently of each other, which I think is quite romantic. <laughs> Indeed. So how does that apply to quantum computers? 
I think it means that the state of a series of qubits can become linked, even if those qubits are physically separated. Okay, so if you have a qubit A and you measure it, that will tell you something about qubit B if the two are entangled? Yes, exactly. And following on from that, changing the state of that qubit A will have an impact on qubit B if the two are entangled. Okay, so I think I now have some understanding of how quantum computers are different to classical computers. That does help explain some of what I've read about how quantum computers will be able to help us where classical computers can't at the moment. Interesting. What have you read? Well, what I gather is that it's anticipated that quantum computers will make use of superposition and entanglement to process information, identify causal relationships, and tackle particular calculations with greater efficiency and at far greater speeds than a classical computer, not least because they should be able to solve multiple problems or calculations in parallel. Interesting. And, and that reminds me of something actually that I saw. And it was talking about how quantum computers will speed up the rate at which certain machine learning tasks are performed. And as a result, enable us to better analyze and model complex data sets that underpin systems like biological systems, chemical, human, financial. And that will help us model complex processes like, for example, the spread of a virus like coronavirus. Or, or even something seemingly as simple, but actually very complicated as modeling the chemical formula of ammonia. Yes, exactly. And incidentally, I've also seen a lot of buzz about the fact that once powerful enough to run an algorithm called Shaw's algorithm, quantum computers will be able to crack certain cryptographic codes in tiny fractions of the timescales needed by classical computers. And this matters because it will render the most commonly used encryption standard RSA vulnerable. All of this, to put it lightly, sounds like quite a lot might change. And I've heard that some of the quantum computers that have been built have already achieved what's called a quantum advantage, which means that they can perform a particular task faster than a classical computer. Yes, that's true. Although we should bear in mind that quantum computers are not yet ready to solve real world problems and are still prone to high rates of error. That said, some commentators believe quantum computers will be in mass use by governments and by companies by the early 2030s, so not as far off as you might expect. No, a very near horizon. Well, I've certainly learned a lot, and I'm really looking forward to getting some experts in. So with that said, do tune in to the rest of our podcast series, where we'll be talking to cybersecurity specialists Dr. Ali Kafrani and Robert Hannigan, and catching up with our clients about what they're getting up to in this space. For more information on this topic, or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.